We're jumping into a new series on the Word of God. Whoa! Come on. And we're going to look at John 1, 1, which is a great way to start a message on the Word of God. So read with me, John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we invite your presence here. Oh, you're already here. So God, we, we ask that you would awaken us to the reality of your presence, that you would stir our heart's affection for you, that you would open our eyes to see our ears, to hear our hearts, to understand the significance of the fact that you are the living word. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. So we're looking at the Word of God. If you've been in church for a little bit of time, you've heard Jesus described as the Word of God, and you've also heard the Bible described as the Word of God, and it's both. And today we're going to talk about the Word of God in in both ways, and I'll work as hard as I can to make sure that I distinguish between which one I'm talking about when I'm talking about it. Um, but it might require questions on the back end, and, and I'm 100% okay with that. If there's a question to ask me about the Bible, I'm a Bible nerd. I don't know a ton, um, as much as maybe some scholars, but I, I just I geek out about it. And if I don't know the answer, I would love to dive in and figure it out with you. Uh, because I do want to know. I, I love consuming it. I love looking at it. I love the way even the paper Bible feels and smells. I am, um, you know, just ha, ah, kind of a geek about the uh, a geek about the outside of the Bibles. And Pastor Eddie has a really nice Bible that I covet. And there's something wrong with that sentence. That's entirely beautiful and wonderful at the same time. But but I love it, and I'm a geek for it. And and I invite you to be the same. Because in it and through it, we can know the expressed heart and, and the expressed heart and mind of God in, in written form. And um, before we, we look at John one one and break that down, I want to look at I want to look at kind of the beauty of this introduction and compare it to the other introductions. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, we start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels or the good news according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John. And um, each one starts, and each one wrote their book or wrote their account of the life and ministry of Jesus uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and for specific people uh, out of their own experience and personality also. So the Holy Spirit divinely inspired the writing of these books, but it was written by people. So it has, it has their experience and their viewpoint and their, their, um, their knowledge base goes into it. And um, so each book starts for a specific audience from a specific person. And so it, has, it starts a different way. And Matthew, Matthew opens up with a genealogy because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And the genealogy is going to prove the, the validity of the ministry of Jesus, that he comes from a kingly line. And so, the, so it kicks off. It's like, okay, this, I know what's going to be important to you, so I'm going to kick off with, with a... With a um, not a bibliography, that's school, a genealogy. And we're going to kick off with this genealogy so that you know that he's qualified to do the things that he said he was going to do. And then we get into uh, Matthew, then we go to Luke, and it's a letter that's written to Theophilus. And, and what, what happens here is Luke has all of these things, all this information's out there about Jesus, and they're trying to sort out what's true and what's not true. What did Jesus really do and what didn't he do? What's being credited to him? You know, like most quotes get accredited to like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, but we can't prove most of them. 
It's kind of like that. So Jesus said this. Well, did he really say it? And so Luke set about to be kind of a historian of sorts and to, to break it down and to create an orderly account so that these lovers of God or this lover of God would know that what really happened. And so he wrote this account out and he starts by promising that, hey, I'm setting out to write this orderly account. And it includes the, that angels announced the conception of Jesus and the uh, arrival of Jesus at birth. And it includes other information. And so he's, so he's building this up and he's like, hey, I got to show you the whole picture. It didn't just, it, it started with, it started with this announcement that he was going to be pregnant. So it didn't just start with the birth. And then, and then you've got Mark. Mark's probably written when, when he was in Rome. Um, the church was a combination of Jews and Gentiles in Rome. And so uh, Mark goes out of his way to explain a couple of Jewish customs. And Mark also goes out of his way to describe some Aramaic words and, and let people know what's going on and bring them in and define things so nobody's missing out on it if you didn't grow up in, in the Jewish synagogue. And so Mark introduces Jesus as the Son of God. And so let's pause right here. So now between these three books, what we have is somebody who goes back at least as far as David. There was a plan from the line of of Abraham. There's a plan that goes all the way back in this genealogy. So we know that he comes from an important line of people. We know that angels announced his conception and his birth. And we know that he's being called the son of God. And and, and John is going to give us a new dynamic. So if you just looked at the introductory sentences and the introductory verses of of each gospel... That's what we know so far. And John's like, hey, I'm going to give you another glimpse of the same thing, but for a specific audience. The audience John is writing to is is likely believers, people who believe in Jesus, and it's probably people who are Jewish and Gentile. Uh, But I think it's also written in such a way that it it makes a whole lot of sense to a non-Christian audience as well. And what, what he does is he kicks off his account by taking everybody back to the, a very familiar phrase, in the beginning, which is how the Bible opens, right? Yeah. In the beginning. And so he's like, I'm going to use a phrase that people have heard before to capture their attention. And then he's going to change the way they thought about that beginning for the rest of their life. So in the beginning was the word. Said another way, in the beginning The word already was. The word was there. And so while everybody's minds thinks of God hovering above, being there before anything else existed and being there all by himself, which he was, uh, the way that we're wired, we tend to personify things. And so we think of it with, with what we know. So if you know that God is a monotheistic God, if we know that there's only one God and who reigns and rules over all things, when, you've, when you read Genesis 1, you think of one, one, ent- one person being there. God the Father. Right? You with me? And he's about to blow their mind because he's saying, in the beginning, and they're like, yeah, God hovered above the formless things and then he made everything happen. He says there was the word. So, wait, wait a second. In the beginning, God was there. Now, now you're saying this word was there. This would have been mind-blowing and earth-shattering. Now, if you've grown up in church and you're hearing, if you've grown up in a Protestant church and you're, and you're hearing this, uh, we, we, we fast forward to, oh, this is about Jesus. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the, was the Jesus. But wait, don't go there yet. Because you're going to miss kind of the beauty of this verse and the excitement of this verse and the excitement about what's happening. He's blowing their minds. And the demand that, that God just be Jehovah, that, that, he just be, uh, that he just be Yahweh. 
and called that, that one thing. Now he had many, many names, but now they're saying, and, and in the beginning was the word and the word was there and it was, and it was with God. So this word with doesn't mean separate from. So sometimes if I say I'm with Megan, you'd go, oh, okay, they're together, but they're completely separate. They're not the same. And don't, don't let that conjunction get in the way of what the, what the author is getting at. He's saying the word, was, the word was there. And so just to help us, and it says the word was God. So wait a second. So in the beginning when there was only God, there was also this word that was with him and, and uh, maybe uh, uh, distinct from him, but also him. What is happening right now? I mean, I've read this a lot of times and have been really frustrated by it because, I, I, you know, you read it fast or you say it fast and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was God. And the... Yeah, <laughs> the Bible says so. Jesus loves me. Next question. <laughs> but like, we, what does it even mean? Like I've even talked about it already, but I haven't really talked about what it means yet. The word that we translate as word, this is where it gets funny, is the word logos. So in the beginning was the logos. Okay? Here's the thing about the word logos. It's amazing. It's amazing. The word logos is a word, and I'm going to go back to the Greek philosophers, when, because, because John was writing to an audience of Jewish people and Greek people, and so when they heard a word, it would have incited something inside of them the same way a word would incite something inside of you. If I say a word uh, like pank-pank, it means nothing to you. You might ascribe some meaning to it or think you know what I'm talking about, but that's what we call pancakes in my house. Pancakes are pank panks. Not pancake. I wouldn't eat a pancake in my house. It doesn't even sound delicious. But a pank pank? You bet I will. Because my child named it pank pank. And pank pank has a very, very real meaning yes. to my family. If I said, we're having pank panks for dinner. They'd be like, yeah, we are, because dad is awesome. And I'd be like, yes. Just kind of planning my evening in front of you is kind of what's happening. (laughs) But this word logos, so we're like the word logos, and I could tell you what the word logos means. I could read you a definition, but we need to understand what it means in the minds of the people that heard it. Because the word logos, if I gave you the definition of the word logos, we'd go, oh, yeah, okay, cool, that's cool. There's logos. We'll just swap it out for Jesus. We're good, right? Let's go home and keep worshiping at... Los Totecos. Actually, out front. We got to have some food out front after service. Greek philosophers like Plato used the word logos to speak not only of the spoken word, but of the unspoken word. Greeks were speaking about the, the rational principle that governs all things, and they were talking about, and the word logos stood in for the thing that holds everything together. They knew there was this logos, this power, this force, this idea, this principle, this idea that's communicated, that holds everything together. Coordinates the entire universe. 
This guy, uh, a philosopher named Heraclitus, used the term logos around 600 BC to de- designate the divine reason or plan which coordinates the entire universe. So you had God and you had this plan. Now, was the God inside of plan or was the plan inside of God? Was it a separate thing? Was it just a thought or was it something else? Was it a thing that was alongside of, distinct from, but also him? Or was it this separate thing? It was just an idea that was going to come into come to play later. Because you could look at it and you could go, oh, okay, so God had this idea and, and then everything came to be when God spoke it into existence. But that's not what happened. A little more on, on the word logos. Monotheistic Jews, mono, one God, Jews that worshiped one God, Jewish people who worship one God, you and I who worship one God, monotheistic, used logos to refer to God since he was the rational mind and reason behind creation and the coordination of the universe. So when John used the word logos, in the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was this grand idea, this grand principle, this grand uh, uh, one who holds all things together. And it was with God and it was God. This word logos was going to carry weight with both the Jews and the Greeks. Talk about brilliant. What a brilliant choice of an opening. He's got everybody. In the beginning was, okay, talk to me. In the beginning was this thing. You got me. And everybody's making their assumptions about what this thing is about what this plan is. You and I, based on our, but based on our experience, we assign meaning to that. The reason, the thing that holds it all together is our skill or our job or our ability. Maybe if you, if you don't believe in God, the thing that holds all things together is your self-control and your goodness and your ability to do right or give enough money or plant enough trees. He used this very special word, logos, to appeal to both groups of people. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. He was in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. It's interesting, it switched to he is, he was with it in the beginning. And he gave a personality to the word. He gave, he started to give it an identity. The Logos, well, I, I don't want to, I want I don't want to jump ahead. The word of God is not less than this, but it's, it's not the, the, the written word of God isn't, isn't all of what God is. You with me? Because God, the Logos existed before this did. And Abraham and Moses, God visited them and led them before they, before they had this. You with me so far? The cool thing about Logos existing before and being not less than this is that, is that if all of the Bibles cease to exist, God continues to exist. The Logos continues. So we protect the word of God. We protect it in our translations. We protect it, the manuscripts. We protect the history. We, that's why we keep weird things in it and we don't just erase them because we don't like them or they're uncomfortable or it's confusing. 
We use translation, and that's why it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was at the very beginning with God. The reason it says that, instead of just shortcutting it to in the beginning was the Jesus, and the Jesus was with God, and the Jesus was God, is because that would violate translation. It would skip the step. And so we allow confusing things to stay in Scripture because we're translating what was originally inscribed and written down. We're not, inter- we're not always just interpreting it. You with me? So you, you, you follow that? That's really comforting to anybody who has doubts about this Bible that we keep these confusing things in here because we're saying that it's so true we're not afraid to hide it. I don't hide my pimples from my wife. Right? I don't hide it from her. It'd be silly to hide a pimple. I, it's, life is far worse than that with me. But I, can't, I don't hide those things from her. She, she knows all of me. But there's, there's, some, there's, uh, there's some religions that... It, I, it's really exciting. I'm just excited about this. I, I just want to feel your excitement with me. It, if all the Bibles got destroyed... There's even a movie about it. I didn't watch the whole thing because my flight was too short. But the book of Eli where all the Bibles were getting destroyed and there was like one copy of the Bible left and he protected it with all of his life. I haven't seen it, so I don't know how it ends. I hope he saved it. But even if he didn't, but even if he didn't save it... Even if, even if Denzel, even if my man Denzel Washington didn't manage to save the Bible, the Logos still exists without the, the paper form of the Bible. That's really good news. So that if you exist in a place without a Bible, let's say you're on a desert island because, I don't know, your flight was way too short. And, and you end up on a desert island. That was kind of dark, but... You end up on a desert island. The Logos still exists even if you don't have this so God can still visit you because he's not less than this. He's more than this. It's, it's really good news. It's really good news. That's why, that's, why, uh, that's why we can have different versions of the Bible, like different translations of the Bible, because God's not so insecure that, you know, if, if we use a different word here or there, that we're all going to go run off the cliff and we're going to be completely lost. But that's why we are careful about the translations that we use so that we're not, we're not building on things that are outside of what Scripture said originally. Amen. Right? I, I posted on Facebook today or this week. I, I was looking at the Pigeon Bible. I don't recommend it for studying, but it was really fascinating. Pigeon, it's Hawaiian speak. That book. The book. Anyway. I don't know if that's a translation or a, an interpretation. But we're not worried about that because the Logos is bigger than that. God is bigger than that. His purpose is bigger than that. But it's not less, but it's not less than this. So there's, there's a book out at the, at, the, at the resource table. It's called How to Read Your Bible for All That It's Worth. That is not the Bible. It's a book about the Bible. It's like a book on eating. You know, have you ever sat down to a table and you're like, I have no idea how to eat what's in front of me. Like you had like a crab or something, like a whole crab. And you're like, so do I just like a hamburger? Just start with the head. Claw. Well, like, what, what, what do I do with this? You sit down at an Ethiopian restaurant. You're going in with your hand. Come on. Somebody. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like how, how do I, how do I do this? Am I, you sit down at a fancy meal and it's got 16,000 forks and knives and spoons. You're like, I'm not sure how to eat this meal. one's first. Help me. You asking the waiter kind of on the slide, like, which one? Go to the bathroom and ask the people at the front desk. Little tip for you if you ever get stuck in that situation. 
stop by. Hey, I've already got a reservation. I'm back in the back. I just don't know which fork to use. Could you <laughs> help me out? But we're talking about the Lagos. This would have been mind-blowing. The, the Lagos was a companion to and completely inseparable from God. It was a word that it existed in. It, it, the Lagos, the word that has existed from the very beginning was in relationship and in full agreement with God. And there was no separation between them. And he restates it a couple of different ways and uses this thing called parallelism where you state the same thing but a different way to re-communicate the same idea. Right? So what he did is he, he took the same information but reorganized it and reshared it so that people could get it. Like I just did with those last two sentences. And then for any of us who haven't looked at this before with fresh eyes, if you're reading it for the first time or going back to it for the first time or studying it for the first time, it should make you curious to know what is this logos? What is this word that was here from the beginning that was God and is God? That's kind of confusing. If I had told you that there was somebody behind the curtain this whole time, just standing right there, this whole message is standing right behind the curtain. And then, and then I just <laughs> continued preaching the message. You'd be like, who's behind the curtain? There's nobody behind the curtain for anybody. I didn't plan well enough to have somebody back there. That would have been pretty sneaky. Next time. should make you curious to know who's behind the curtain. What is this word? Who is this word? The Bible, John called it a he. What's happening here? And, and, and he, here's, here we go. Are you ready for it? It's not until a bunch of verses later in verse 14 that we learn who the logos is and we learn who the, who the word is. So we've been in this suspense and what should happen is in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with the word of God or with God. Like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. Who this is, and it should make us hungry to keep reading. Because maybe, maybe it's in here. And if you start, if you stop too soon, you're not going to get to it. And then you get down to verse 13, and it says, or verse 14, and it says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father." What did Mark call him? The Son of God. What did John call him later? Also, the Son of God, the only Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes on to testify about who he is. So now we know that this is Jesus that it's talking about. Thank you. My gosh, I'm I'm going to need a nap after this. Thank you, Beth Greening. Now, why didn't John just say it? Why didn't he just call Jesus, Jesus, like up there? Why didn't he just say the Son of God like the other ones? Because there was something about the eternal nature of God that hadn't yet been expressed. There was something about the eternal nature of God that John was like, y'all got to know that he's eternal. He didn't have a start. It didn't start with the genealogy. It didn't start with the announcement of the angels. It didn't start with, with the, um, who's the other guy? Oh, with, by calling him the son of God with Mark. It didn't start with him just being born and being a son of God. It started before the very beginning of time. Time is just for us. He's existed forever. And John's like, you got to know that if you want to know Jesus. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm totally, ah. So he's like, you got to know that Jesus has existed before the beginning. 
Whatever beginning you think of, he was there before that. And so we've got, we've got this Jesus who's existed from the very beginning. He's the one who's the word. And now John didn't separate them because he understood so strongly in his mind that Jesus was the word of God. What is the word of God? The word of God is the one that holds all things together. He's the one who sustains all things. It's the one who, who created all things and started all things and keeps all things. So he's saying the word of God. He wasn't trying to hide the fact that it was Jesus. He was shouting out that it's Jesus. Okay. Like there's no way of knowing what's in your head right now. I, I hope you're, you're with me. Because this is too important to not get. Okay. So, so, so John knew from walking with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was the one that Jesus loved. Like Shanique said, he'd experienced the pain of losing his savior when he died on the cross. He experienced the heartache of thinking that that Jesus had died and everything that he thought Jesus would be had had fallen apart. And everything that he thought Jesus could be fell fell down and it it fell apart. It burned up. And now Jesus is gone and Jesus can't be who we thought he was going to be. And then he rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead and all that disappointment, all that heartache, all that loss turned into unspeakable joy and unspeakable hope. And he got so excited because now he realized that what he thought Jesus was, was less than what Jesus really was. And Jesus wanted to be more than John ever thought he could be. Okay. So what is the significance of the fact that Jesus is the Logos and that the Bible is the written expression of this Jesus? I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. (laughs) Jesus is the one who will hold your life together. He is the one who holds the universe together and will hold your life together. When everything feels like it's fraying, when everything else feels like it's fallen apart, when everything else feels like it's fallen short of the expectations you've had, when everything else falls short of what you hope for, when life is less than you thought it could be because you thought of it incorrectly, God wants to give you his thought because he's the one who's holding it together in his son, Jesus Christ. And he's the one who will bring you up. He's the one who created you. He's the one who has a plan for you. He's the one who purposed you. He's the one who thought of you before you existed. Now, now he existed before he became in the flesh. We existed as a thought, not, not in reality. We didn't exist forever. When we were conceived, that's when we become, and that's why we care so much about unborn lives, right? You with me? So because when you're, when you're conceived, you're alive and you matter, and that's the beginning of things. And in Jesus Christ, you live forever. Jesus existed forever, and then came in a baby. Pretty cool. (laughs) Thank you. I agree. We'll just conference you in. We got family visiting from from New York and we'll just put a conference call right, right here. In a world where everything is decaying, everything's crumbling and falling apart and changing at a faster rate than you can ever keep up with He holds all things together and has the master plan for you and for me. So what about the word of God, the written word of God? I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. I'm glad you asked again. I almost almost forgot to answer that. From reading this written word, 
by studying the written word, we approach the heart and the mind of God. We get into it and we see the way that he thinks and the way that he loves and who he is and what his grand plan is. Every word in this beautiful book um, is, is inspired by God. Now I'm talking about the words that were translated. I'm not talking about like the Holy Bible page, right? Like that one. I'm not talking about the deaths and marriage ceremonies page, right? Like at the beginning, that one. I mean, God might've like encouraged that, but that's not the inspired word of God. So if you see a Bible without that, it's cool. It's all right. The book of maps in the back, not inspired by God. Helpful. Yeah. Glossary, helpful. Not the inspired word of God, not the stuff that's translated. This is the stuff that's translated. This is the word of God. And this is the stuff that gives us life. Okay, so as we study this word of God, as we, as we approach it, we approach the heart and mind of God because we don't exactly have the benefit of walking with Jesus the way that John walked with Jesus. We have the benefit of the Holy Spirit who comes to us and teaches us all things, but the things that he teaches us point back to his word and the word allows us to test what we're hearing from the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit says something to us, we're like, well, does this line up with scripture? What is the expressed written heart and mind of God for me in text? You with me? So this is why it's so important that we read our Bible and we approach the Bible with humility and with prayer and with faithfulness and consistency and with devotion so that we can know what is the heart and mind of God. So it can, so it can get from inside of this Bible to inside of our hearts. And so the word of God can be inscribed on our hearts so that we can worship him in song and we can worship him in offering and we can worship him in learning and we can worship him in fellowship and we can worship him in small group and we can worship him in our, him in our work and we can worship him with our lives because it's inscribed in our hearts and we know who he is. And as, as it's inscribed in our heart, it reveals who we are. It says that's got to go. That attitude, that mindset, that perspective, that's got to go because I want to dwell there. There's no room for this. I, I was reading Proverbs the other day. It was like the, 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 the laggard, the sluggard says there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the streets. It states it twice. And I'm like, I'm like you know, it, basically it's saying, you know, the lazy person's always going to have an excuse not to do something. And I was like, dang, it sounds so wise not to go outside when there's a lion in the street. What lions are in my streets? What thing haven't I done because I just don't want to deal with a lion or I don't believe that my God could slay a lion? There are more than a couple guys in the Bible who killed a lion, lived in a pit with a lion. One dude ate honey from a lion. That was not recommended. That was bad. But we can talk about that if you need to. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Isn't that strong? Maybe, maybe you feel like your life is falling apart and you need Jesus to come and, and, and he, he, he sees you in all your brokenness and he's like, I'm going to put you together the way you were supposed to be. It's like, it's good that you fell apart because you, you, were, you were held together by your own plan and your own plan was dumb. And, and so, so I'm going to put you together the way that you were supposed to be together, and I'm going to make you a new creation. And, and as you get into the word, he's going to refine your mind, and he's going to give you a new mind, and he's going to give you a heart. He's already made you a new creation, but now he's going to, now he's going to program you with his word. And so maybe your life is falling apart. Now it's a great time to get in your Bible enough that it starts to fall apart. And so maybe, maybe if, if your life's falling apart right now, you could say a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to, a, to someone whose life isn't falling apart anymore. And that's your future testimony. 
Colossians 1.17. Colossians 1 makes a whole lot more sense when you understand what's happening here because in Colossians 1.17, Paul says this. He says that he being Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together. Amen. That word logos, man. If we missed that word logos at John 1.1, 1, 1, we didn't catch how significant this declaration was in Colossians 1.17. 